the trolling culture is really really becoming one of the media practices that really really quite influential it also feeds the way hate speech and also many propaganda that violent extremism narrative also be possible at the social media and welcome to Pretty Good Podcast, Digital Rights in the Asia-Pacific with Engage Media. I'm Sarah. And I am Maria. And for this episode, we will be discussing topics and how the expression of religious beliefs affect online behavior and even lead to online hostility in Indonesia. And without further ado, here's the episode. Our guest today is a lecturer and the Chair for Media, Culture and Violence Research Cluster for Center of Anthropological Studies, Universitas Indonesia. He holds master degree on the subject of contemporary re- religious movement in Indonesia. His previous res- research explores the politics on public spheres among urban youth Muslim in contemporary Jakarta. He later also focuses on the evangelical Christians that is located in Borneo, Indonesia. Welcome to Pretty Good Podcast, Mas Imam. Hello, Sarah and Mar. Thank you for having me. So to start us off, uh, Maria had already mentioned the significant work and research on contemporary religious movements in Indonesia that you're already doing, especially as they relate to digital media. What are some of the unique themes and findings that bind your various research together? Actually, I have many interests with the uh, more on revivalist and more on conservative uh, Islamic movement expressions on 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 the social media and also on the internet, and uh, try to observe the, the 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 typology and also the characteristic which are uh, related closely with the way their particular narrative is being deployed as their main uh main 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 core of propaganda of their own movement so the really really uh somehow some kind of uh the same themes that i observe in two of my research on uh, religious movement and social media is really closely related with how the 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 narrative is being deployed by using both the all the the religious narrative that were already established for a long time ago and also the current uh uh popular and also modern way of presenting Islam. So I believe that would include a lot of uh message that is sent via social media. Perhaps like we can start uh, to talk about your research on Indonesia Tanpa Jail. It was a movement in 2018. And Indonesia Tanpa Jail uh, is literally means Indonesia without liberal uh, Muslim or Islam. And do you think that this online uh, movement is actually driven by this conservative Muslim as response to liberal Islams? And... Uh, Can you please tell us a bit about how is the movement, how does that particularly uh, using popular and modern ways, especially in social media? Indonesia Tanpa Jil movement is a movement that came up, I think, in 2012. And at that time, it consists of various kind of Islamic activists. Uh, and it connects many, many uh, Islamic groups that emerge through the social media. So if you see this at the 2012, it's really, really a, a kind of experimental moment for, for religious movement, especially uh, Islamic movement in Indonesia. Why is it? Because the experimentation, could, we can see and we can observe at that time that it consists of people from different spectrum of ideology on the more conservative side you have they have a 
activists that were came from Tarbiyah movement, the basic foundations of Justice and Prosperous Party uh, uh, under, uh, uh, grassroots movement. And from the other part, you can see that there is also people came from uh, cultural uh, and creative industry that start to think that they need to have a kind of modest life and also pious, pious uh, expressions of identity. So it came from these two spectrum and, and they meet each other during the moment uh, when few activists from liberal Islam is holding a rally on Indonesia for Indonesia tanpa FPI. It is Indonesia without the Islamic uh, Indonesian Islamic Defender Front. So the term Indonesia tanpa Jil itself is also somehow like a mimicry for Indonesia tanpa FPI. For example, just a week after responding to Indonesia tanpa FPI rally by a few activists of LGBT activists and also liberal Islam, they also uh, holding a rally in the Sarinah uh, and Bundaran HI and they are targeting the, the, the urban youth as the main uh, uh, object of their uh, propaganda and they think that it is important to, to, to get this segment of, of user as important as they are the one who can amplify it and also make an exposure of what kind of Islam, what kind of Islam that they prefer uh, being expressed in, 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 in social media. And yes, there is so many different kind of expression as a result of these different people from different spectrum, but with different, with the same agenda. And it is the actually the one who came from artist background, like Fauzi Badila, uh, a film artist, and also a few a member of music rock music uh, rock band and also heavy metals uh, in Jakarta. So it is really new as as an expression of Islamic ident uh, Islamic identity at that time because the first rally, the one who take in charge in front of the rally is actually Fauzi Badila and also all the musicians. And also they're wearing t-shirt and also they're wearing jeans. You don't find any people with rope as you expected when you see some kind of response to liberal Islam as it represented in, in, uh, in front of Islamic Defender in Jakarta. So this is really new and that's what um, uh, really struck in my head at the time. So maybe that's a brief introduction to the early, uh, initial history of of the Indonesia Tanpancil. And I think it's transformed and maybe it's also can tell so many stories about current Islamic expression in Indonesia. Thank you for giving us that context, Mas Imam. I'm curious to know how and why exactly did the movement uh, evolved in this manner and what needs was it addressing as it changed over the course of the next couple of years? The way the main uh, actor from this movement uh, express his political belief and political opinion is quite similar with the the Prabowo side on during the 2014 elections. Uh, I don't have any evidence, of course, about whether there is a connection between this, but this is, I think, somehow uh, uh, by conscious or unconscious is a kind of pilot project for polarizing uh, process or polarizing uh, uh, discourse in social media. And they are really, really evolved in terms of how they also uh, bandwagoning the process of political uh, propaganda, political campaign election during 2014 that is really make some kind of start of uh, contrast or start oppositions between the Jokowi as a, as a, as a people that, that represent that as a act that uh, as a candidate that represent the the liberal progressive and also more quote unquote secular candidates and also Prabowo that try to represent himself as a as a figure that that, that becoming the uh, the 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 political candidate that poising the the political Islam. So it evolved in 2014. And they are jump in in the in, in the political campaign, and they are also using 
this, the typical way of also debating and also try to make somehow somehow uh, satire and also irony in in political campaign. So it's little a little bit uh, similar. So that is 2014. I think is also the moment when they are transformed, and there is so many so many uh, groups in social media that also uh, came from this movement that were becoming the supporter for the Prabowo. So that's the evolution in the early two years after their first consolidation in 2013 and 2014. The movement is now, in terms of the numbers of followers and also the hashtag, I think it's already gone and it's declining in the past maybe uh, five to seven years. However, it evolved. It evolved into many, many and various kinds of Islamic movement that came in various platform of social media in Indonesia. So there is a few that we can see the similar characteristic with the name. At least you can still you, you can still find maybe uh, a year ago or maybe until now the hashtag of Indonesia tanpa pacaran, and that also one of the movement that promoting uh, the, the early marriage and also you don't have to have a long courtship before before relationship with 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 uh, your partner so it's also transformed into another one for example you can see the hijrah movement that's really really have a similar way of uh, uh, introducing and 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 also persuade people who are not interested with the movement so by by showing that to becoming a good muslim you don't have to look like a conservative if you can be such a cool guy with a popular way of expressing fashions and everything, however, uh, the the main content of the 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 study group, the pengajian, the study group, Islamic study group, still as conservative as before. So so they transform, but I think they also aware that there is also problem in the national election as a movement that were connected through hashtag and also by a Twitter handle or maybe a Facebook group account, maybe they are not as as expand as before in, in 2012 until 2015. But however, they are providing the basic uh, ideas and discourses and also methods in, in, in a way of presenting uh, conservative Muslim in a more popular kind of uh, Islamic expressions, and also they also provide uh, the methods and also the way uh, how they prepare so many materials in 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 social media to make some kind of polarizing debates, and to the way they handle and mobilize this. They are actually really really influenced by the religious movement of Tarbia movement that for a long time have a kind of uh, methods of they call it jarkom just jaringan komunikasi communications network that usually really really have so many interests in making some kind of horizontal organization of dispersing uh, narrative and news they also have a hierarchical way of of make a filter or also uh, decisions to for which which propaganda is, is can can be dispersed in social media. So in a way, they are really really flexible with with the, the way how propaganda were being produced, distributed, and circulated. And I think the religious movement before social media. And their legacy of how they are facing also the dominations of, of, of mainstream media is also really influential on, on this one. And this is also the one who are being mobilized by Anis, I think, by using also not just social media, but also really, really uh, cell groups that, uh, that amplify so many uh, narrative on the fear of, of Chinese kafir and also the problems of haram and 
haram and halal decisions and and how it influenced also by not just Twitter but also by using the WhatsApp group and also Facebook and so so it it expand and and this is really typical of of this way of of political propaganda. Thank you, Mas Imam, to basically give us the snippets of all how the Islamic movement and social media particularly have evolved throughout the years. You also mentioned how the Tarbiyah movements or uh, the 2014 presidential elections is a pilot, right, for uh, the coming like other elections, let's say like the Ahok in 2017, but as well as the president elections in 2019. So... I'm actually uh, wondering, right? Could you tell us a bit more? Uh, are there any particular progression on how does that reflected in the 2019 uh, president election since you are also did uh, research on hate speech and how does that affected the online behavior, uh, right? And also how does that uh, look uh, in in Depok, Solo, Sukoharjo, Klaten, and Karanganyar, since you are also did some extremism and intolerance uh, narratives mapping, uh, particularly on Islamic movements in this area. The, the the transformations is I think maybe partly influenced as well by the evolutions of political campaign industry and also the, the way Jokowi regime as well. Uh, mobilize their own agenda of propaganda right so so the the, the transformation is really really influenced and situated by by that context and and of course you don't hear anymore of indonesia tanpa jil movement but however there is a new transformation that we forgot to to, to discuss before that it is two dua satu dua or or two one two movements in Jakarta that were being uh, uh, that was established as a response of Ahok uh, 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 candidacy in in 2017, and that Dua Satu movement is becoming the main organizations that could represent and also could show how this this various movement is being crystallized to to the particular characteristic of the movement, and this Dua Satu movement is actually the one who are influential in in producing also and maintaining the 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 hate speech and also violent extremism narrative in indonesia uh, either by concepts or, or unconscious yeah by by their by the political actor inside the movement because just like i said before you can see that that if one hates one one mode of hate speech or also to the way political propaganda uh, promote violent extremism and also intolerance it really really depends on the cultural resource pool what i call it cultural resource pool this is a term from Pedi hadith who, who explain about the matter the symbolical materials that ready over there to be mobilized by the politicians but I think it's also being mobilized by the Islamic movement as well. So, so the Dua Satu Dua movement, if their legacy is providing their cultural resource pool, and in terms of how it evolved, it's not, it's not, now it's, they don't have any Islamic liberal political figure that have a big exposure now. Ulil Absar Abdullah now start to promote his traditional background. So they now have a different target of, of who are the bad guy now, who are the representations of the enemy of Islam. And from my research, I think it is important to see the legacy of the Cold War propaganda, especially with the fear of communists at first, that's one aspect. And also uh, the fear of, of also uh, the progressive uh, movement so so it evolved it evolved in the terms of which which group they will target as as a propaganda so so it's changed because during 2017 the the term of also uh, 
pengaruh asing ya, this uh, foreign threat is really really influential during the the campaign and it's now it is now becoming one of the the the, the discourse being used by the Islamic political movement in in presenting the enemies of Islam and they will have so many different way in each period but however during in my last research i try to explore the meta narrative that is being used in the in the, the political movement that it took uh it took uh the story and the narrative of muhammad uh uh history of winning in the madina and also the his struggle in the mecca and there is so many uh 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 meta narrative being deployed by the history of the prophet muhammad as a way to promote this as we can see many for example amin rais one of the proponent in 212 movement using the badar war as also as a metaphor during the political campaign so so the, this mix between the cold war era uh narrative of uh, uh, uh danger foreign threat and also uh the historical narrative which is imbued by the religious uh, justification from Prophet Muhammad is becoming the basic uh, uh, narrative for many Islamic groups. And this is what I see in Depok and also in, in, in Greater Solo. And you can see that this kind of narrative were being used for many issues and for many topics. For example, in Depok, you can use it in terms of how they make some kind of a uh, counter response to the issues on the LGBT at Universitas Indonesia uh, that, that was being uh, becoming a hot issue because in UI they said that you can do and this and this and usually they also always mentioning the 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 the, the danger of, of, of foreign threat however in explaining many of these issues on contemporary issues whatever the issues is they always usually try to identify which one is related with their enemies, which one represent the 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 the, the kafir, which one represent the munafikun, the, the the danger from inside, and which one they will identify it as we the ummat and many cases usually using uh, this way of thinking the latest one of course the viral video of people uh uh kicking and also throwing the offering for the ancestor in in i think in central java or east java yeah? i think in solo and that actually the interesting case because in solo you don't have any fear of chinese or or liberal islam but they and their enemy is people who still maintain their connections with the ancestor and still maintaining their old rituals. So even though they have different and they have similar characteristic, they are really uh, young and using somehow a popular culture way of expressing Islam. But still, they they have their own uh, different kind of. Enemy. So, so in between between Depok and Solo, there there is a differences on on the way they construct who are their enemies, and and this is this is maybe uh, the uh, the the evolutions of this movement. They are start to become becoming more localized and localized, and they will have their different own of enemy construction. So they they know that the battleground maybe not just in national level because they know that the local regime is not quite strict and also many platforms also agree with 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 the main for the ministry of communication and information to to cut so many uh account and also so many uh, uh groups that is, that is not in line so they know they have their own battleground and i think this is the most significant transformations that people need aware of because uh, this is also a response also to the, to the stronger stronger control of the Jokowi regime to the political Islam that becoming the threat also to the Jokowi uh, 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 president's presidential government. 
that is very enlightening, actually. And and Sarah might ask the next questions, but I just want to like uh, ask you a bit of follow up questions. You were saying that there is this localizations of issues. Uh, where a lot of Islamic movement are reshaping their their movements, right? And uh, but you also mentioned the declining numbers of these movements. So I'm just wondering, uh, does that also related to what you mentioned as uh, the government being strict in terms of going against of or, or crackdown? I would say uh, against the religious movement. We see what happened with FPE, um, and yeah, what do you think of that? And again, like given that most of this movement are happening in social media and within the digitalizations of of how you know this information has been spread would do you have any comments on that yes i think one thing that really interesting is, is the transformations of this movement of course they are declining in terms of numbers of followers and also the exposure in social media but we have but i think don't forget that why they declining is also closely related with with the the national exposure of of public discourse in social media is now is really important for the next presidential election and the maybe jokowi or other political factions in indonesia don't want use again these discourses this cultural resource pool like islamic political uh, politics of identity in relation to islam so they are declining nationally in terms of social media exposure like hashtags and everything but however don't forget that social media is not just twitter and social media not just some kind of big hashtag on instagram so they will have this cluster of what the Merlin Alim called the algorithmic enclave that were being used by them more in a more uh, more sporadic but quite underground. So so it's a little bit the closed system of group of, of Facebook group or something. So so there is a step uh, from my finding uh, last year with Wahid Institute. They will have uh, some kind of grad uh, graduations stage yeah for people to be able to intensely hearing a more violent extremism narrative so for example the evolution of indonesia tanpa jail movement the indonesia tanpa jail movement usually will have the connections with other groups right they have their own connection like hijrah movement but when some cases is uh, arise in public sphere and related with islam so they will have different response so few account will will respond lightly so fewer account will have a strong response and and usually they will get their follower not just as a follower they will send a message they will invite to more closer interaction so so there is a sequence of, of people engaged with this violent extremism narrative so they will not expose it publicly but but you know that the close group is now becoming the the basis of the their movement now because there is a threat of course if they're identified but i don't have any numbers about whether this is big or this is small but for but for my finding this is the way they adapt thank you for sharing that Ms. imam it's interesting how you um highlighted the move to again these more hyper local spaces and that's not just the physical communities but even the way that the the yeah. choice in social media platforms um, that these groups are using and as you've researched this and as well as how people have reacted to it um, why do you think these um, more private platforms are um, have been are being used more and do you feel that these are in a way more effective in converting those especially those who have who are not as strong in their religious beliefs and stances in 2018 i think there is one article from seto harjana Arya seto harjana a postdoctoral fellow at frankfurt university who did research on the significance of what the what the marketing group marketing research group usually use that is astroturfing 
uh, I don't know whether you are quite familiar with the term. The astral thing is uh, a method of marketing that usually try to represent that the grassroots movement is really interested with the product. So during the web 1.0 or maybe in the early web 2.0, 2.0, if you can see it in in many uh, advertorial in, in in national news website. And you see that people usually, oh, this product is good, and you you feel that like people is is agree or or really have attachment to this, and that is the way they use the close group. So they will try to to targeting the most influential people in the groups, uh, the most outspoken, and the most people who will have a strong uh, belief about uh, the credential and also the credibility. Of, of one particular member group in the WhatsApp. So that's the way of astroturfing. So, and actually it is, it is the Islamic movement who, who really aware of this because they represent and usually use the term umat in the political uh, campaign, even in the close group. So if you are not agree with it, then you are the enemy of your own religion. So that's the kind of astroturfing uh, that they, they will use and in in this closest social media circle so that it's not public and also they really really using people who have credential and also credibility to to show that yes everyone is agree with this and people who are usually majority of whatsapp group member that were being silent usually in in many groups usually uh exposed to this uh these uh, uh, political discourses. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, definitely that's of interest to engage media, the utilization of these different platforms, not just yeah. um, for entrenching religious beliefs such as this, but also just in wider conversations. And I think just to comment on that, it's also um, important to know that as these spaces get smaller, it also, of course, affects the overall ecosphere of the digital space in that there is less and less room for discussions amongst people, uh, con constructive discussions, so to speak, amongst people who may have different opinions and also who are respecting of others' opinions, where instead of um, being more open and having conversations in more traditional wider spaces as the internet was supposed to be um, used for, it's now become just people being siloed and siloed further, being further entrenched, and um, again, leading to um, less discussions and openness in general. So it is, that's also the reason why I, I asked that question and seeing, it seems that in, in at least when discussing religious beliefs, um, it's also a growing trend in Indonesia. Yeah, um, as Sarah has mentioned in terms of, uh, you know, this the space being smaller and at the same time it becomes like hyper-localized, it's what she mentioned. There is also the discussions around the civility index on how people actually acted within social media spaces in Indonesia. Um, it has been reported that at the start of the year, 205 million internet users are in Indonesia and 73.7% of it are using uh, the internet, right? And and it's it's I would say it's more than half of the populations. And given the high internet usage, why do you think a survey like the Digital Civility Index uh, in Indonesia scores quite low? Why uh, do you think, what do you think of the survey, first of all? And uh, what are the reasons behind it? Yes, I think this will be, uh, uh, um, if we analyze the numbers, maybe it's not just related with what we discussed in the past half hour, I think, because it's also related with internet culture that uh, really, really based on uh, the transformations of uh, community uh community groups that uh born from internet right so you see that the trolling culture is really really becoming one of the media practices that really really quite influential and also it also feed the the way 
hate speech and also uh, many propaganda that really uh, make some kind of violent extremism narrative also be possible at the social media. So this is also related to the way uh, internet is being developed in Indonesia. And trolling, I think, is one of the main characteristics of, of many forum right since before maybe social media. And in a way, at first time, at, 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 at the first initial development uh, in, in, in Indonesia, I think when people interact with uh, MEFC chat or, or maybe website forum, there is a strong uh, 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 orientation of egalitarian interactions between people using internet. And it's becoming some kind of subculture. And I remember there is one anthropologist who did her research on 4chan and he published, she published her monograph about the, 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 the evolutions of anonymous groups in America. And the first uh, uh, media practices that's really typical is what they call lulls. It's laughing out loud, but you can put it in and in their own lingo and and the way how people produce how to produce love is becoming their their main uh, goal was the main value in producing the community so there is so many uh, practice that usually uh, try to to humiliate or also uh, try to make fun of uh, other people's uh, identity or, or something that they they start to attack for, for example they attack scientology in maybe in, in between 2010 or 2015, I forgot the, the years. And this 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 maybe also uh, becoming a little bit a little bit out of hand when they are co-evolved with the religious movement that were using also this way of producing and labeling others and i think that is what i found at at my my first impressions when i see indonesia tanpa jilu movement because they use cartoon they use they try to somehow make a pastiche of little faces or everything so it's the pra the practice is a little bit similar but however when they co-evolve with this movement and it was were being amplified by both political campaign industry and also by the marketing consultancy that migrating to political campaign industry because this is a really lucrative industry. It's now maybe becoming uh, the context in which the digital civility in, in Indonesia is really low now. There's maybe, uh, but of course, this is debatable, of course, what 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 we count as civil activity in 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 in, in the media right because if you want to as well to control uh, maybe also that there is a problem of civil right there so so but it's also the discourse of you don't need to control the civil rights also being used by the right-wing politics as well right like just like uh in in america so so maybe uh, the 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 low number of digital accessibility is really really uh, being being produced by of course the ecology of media in Indonesia and the media practices in Indonesia which actually uh, were somehow a mix between this trolling culture and also with the hate uh, speech kind of discourses that were really uh in dominations in indonesian public discourse they maintain that even in if you see it in a more apolitical group just like many shit posting facebook groups in indonesia even though it were being used in uh in a funny kind of way but still they maintain the discourses and also the symbols so so it was being used also many for people who usually troll people so I think that is more on a cultural explanations and also the co-evolution between a particular kind of, of, of political contestations of Islamic groups that were mobilizing the hate speech and everything, and also 
with the internet culture that were also being evolved in Indonesia. And don't forget as well that maybe the platform as well uh, seeing this as a lucrative business, but because you because as we already know, uh, uh, even Facebook also uh, 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 make uh, the conditions when Trump is being and his supporter is being uh, uh, amplified by the platform because it's also a lucrative business, right? So so maybe the third the third factor maybe related as well with the platform itself that you that is really really uh, promoting many many content that usually could stimulate fear and also excitement so so this is also maybe maybe influence well in Indonesia especially with the numbers that really really high in the numbers of internet user in Indonesia so we cannot leave them uh, innocence, I think. <laughs> they also maybe, uh, uh, but we need to, to see uh, in more re further research on this. Yes, agree that the platforms also definitely have a role in this. And it is also them who benefit in the use of their, when their platforms are being used for this kind of engagement. Because regardless of what the topics are and what's mm -hmm. discussed, engagement is just, Pure engagement, pure clicks, and more uh, profit for them. Mm -hmm. um, for but the very last question, I just want to ask, we've talked about already the platforms just now and how they're benefiting from this. We've talked about the, um, the different actors who are convincing others to join these movements and the people behind them as different stakeholders and how they're benefiting. And now I'm wondering, about the civil society organizations and digital rights activists and scholars basically us in this room we are also stakeholders in this and seeing all this play out and so what is your main recommendation for civil society organizations to help promote a more peaceful and open environment for these discussions to again um, happen in broader spaces and in safer spaces one of the interesting part in the transformations of this uh, hate speech and also the expressions of extremism and also intolerance, it's really, really depend as well with uh, endorsement. And endorsement is a, a spe specific practices that were being used in social media, right? At, at the first time, it, it's being used by some product. So some product will have the ambassador and everything. and 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 many, many, many head uh, uh, speech group also using this. And that's why Indonesia Tanpa Jil Movement were using many artists, right? So they try to endorse, they try to make a public exposure on this. And the, the difficult part of NGO and activists is how to, how to, to also uh, try uh, make use of this. I remember, uh, Wahid Institutes finally also, uh, I agree with them. They are try to promote and try to engage so many uh, Twitter account that have so many followers and everything. On the other hand, there is also a good insight as well. Uh, we can see uh, that usually the headspace group really, really interest to use some kinds of people who are from their the who are come from the inside of their enemy group who are converted to them <laughs> that that usually for a long time islamic movement are using this if you remember uh many famous ustad or is using the the people who convert that that they were a former uh, preman yeah, the former uh vigilante groups or or even now as you can see in the islamic movement they use maybe one uh, people with with identity that they were be, that they were they attack for example Chinese so so the Felix Xiao is also one of the example that so maybe we need to also to find that 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 way because there are so many so many uh, uh, cases that perhaps quite quite uh, influential to for 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 
at least for white institute to find that for example certain spectrum of political islam that quite radical quite conservative that were being converted so so they also use people from inside the the, the opposition group so that's also one of the strategies so besides that you find an endorser who can magnify your 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 your, your discourse you can also use former uh, uh try to find ally from from uh, in the fringe of uh, uh, of your uh, uh, groups that were influential in the social media so that is one thing the other one is related with uh, indigenous traditional religion this is quite specific i think this is not related only for uh, islamic minority and everything um, there is some maybe because i came from more academic background study there is also a trend that somehow also romanticize and also try to see also indigenous group as something that stay that way for a long time and don't see their cosmopolitan uh, characteristic many many indigenous and traditional religious group including what i did what what i observed in my phd research is actually shifting and transform in response and also always using uh, some kind of combinations of many foreign foreign elements and everything so provide the indigenous uh, so if you can uh, engage and present and also discuss this indigenous religious group as a cosmopolitan way of being religious and also in cosmopolitan way of engaging with non-state religion i think that would be beneficial because it shows how they are not people that for many publics who don't know history and everything were were treated as a people left behind so in order for you to present how 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 important they are of course you need to present that and of course i know that there is so many discrimination from the state for these groups but if you want to present to them that they are the one who 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 are the authentic religious in nusantara i think that's not quite a good strategy for for people who don't have any ideas and who have this ideology that that it is actually because of that that we need to 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 make to convert them to, to, to Islam or to, to Christian or, or everything. So maybe uh, that's what I have in mind. Just try to uh, level up the, the, the positions and the way indigenous religion is being presented in the media would be also interesting as a way, an alternative way. Uh, maybe we can try it uh, or that if, if it is possible, then you can see that this is also becoming an identity of many Southeast Asian nation, I think, not just Indonesia. The discrimination also happens in everywhere in Thailand and everything. But if you can tell them that this is not only uh, agama asli or the original religions, maybe you will have uh, uh, one alternative to try to, to promote and to level up these this groups. But it's only, of course, this is more an academic explanation. I know in, in, in technical, uh, process of doing advocacy and everything is not really easy but uh, I just want to uh, explain the risk of of try to present indigenous religion as somehow a pristine and somehow a historical uh, religious group because that is actually the way the city see the indigenous group because they feels like it's pristine it's, in the, it's identified as uh, that is actually the Nusantara religions and everything and for me it's quite problematic because from my experience at least in Borneo they are aware that we are always in change <laughs> we are always have a transformation in rituals and everything so so if you expecting that maybe maybe you will have found that but but the local community represent themselves like that because they know it's important to you so so, so I think that's uh, the last uh, remarks for, for NGO activists and also media advocacy groups that, that I think it's quite important to, 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 
to consider that aspect. And we will definitely take you up on that offer, Mas Imam. There is also an open invitation to our audience members and listeners who are working on research and working with civil society organizations on these issues of ensuring a more open and safer environment online for people to express their religious beliefs. So I think it's a good reminder for us that these kinds of conversations that we're having right now with others who may not necessarily be in our circles is very much important to address the evolving needs and trends that are happening in this space. And so with that, uh, we'll definitely also link the research of Mas Imam and also other links that uh, we have mentioned over the course of this interview. So Mas Imam, thank you very much for joining us and uh, we'll look forward to their next research. So that was Mas Imam Ardianto, a very fruitful discussions uh, on his research and also studies around Islamic movement in Indonesia. So my main takeaways uh, during the interviews would be how does the algorithm that is different, uh, that is driven by platform economy, which is like a billion dollar economy, have created a place where hate speech has flourished, hum humiliations become a subcultures, and authoritarianism is deployed by the state. How can we reclaim this uh, internet uh, to be what John Perry Barlow have, have promised us to create a world that all may enter without privilege and prejudice. What would be your main takeaway, Sarah? Definitely agree with you there, Maria. On my end, I just want to reiterate what I had mentioned earlier about the need for us to go outside of our usual networks, the usual suspects, in order to address this and to encourage freedom of religious beliefs and expression online. I think as the movements have evolved, we also need to evolve the way in which we're communicating with people. Mas Imam had mentioned some suggestions on his end, but we as well need to also think of our own ways and to see how we can evolve our campaigns and our use of our advocacy and our voice in order to ensure that the environment really is safe for all. And if we're not going to do it, who else is going to do it? So this type of call to action is also something we really want to encourage and is the reason we want to do this podcast and to open up such conversations. And so for more information on this, you can go head on over to engagemedia.org podcast. You can watch us on Cinemata and also listen to us on any audio streaming platform. And with that, see you till the next episode.